Hello and welcome to Series 7, Episode 6 of Out with Susie Ruffle. Hello. Uh, I hope whenever you're listening to this, you are having a good day. I am currently in a hotel room in Leicester. I'm on tour at the minute. So I'm on the road, so I've not got my mic with me. So I hope this bit's okay. Don't worry, the actual interview was done in a studio, so it will sound glorious. But this might sound a little bit tinny because... Oh, look, I forgot my things. That's the truth. I forgot my things. I was taking the baby to the park. I then didn't leave myself enough time to pack, which is very me. And I forgot my microphone. But here we are. I'm still managing to do it somehow. So hopefully you don't mind it too much. Before we begin, as always, I need to thank you so much for everyone that got in touch after last week's episode with Charlie Martin. Thank you very much. I saw all the comments and I saw all the emails. So I really, really appreciate that. Uh, If you want to get in touch with me, you always can. You can share your story with me. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. I'm always keen to hear from you. It's so interesting, actually, when I chat to people after tour shows or when people get in touch, they often say, I love the bit where you hear from regular people at the top of the show. I love the letters that people send in. And I'm always keen to hear from you. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can. Please do. Now, listen, I've got such a great episode for you today. Khadif Kerwin, I can't wait to share this chat. I love him. I think he's such a brilliant actor and he is such a lovely, lovely, wonderful man. I've been trying to get this conversation in for a while. We've got a mutual friend. Uh, shout out to my friend Ashling B, who put us in touch so that we could do the interview. And... Yeah, I, uh, I, I've been wanting to chat to him for a while and because of diaries and a whole host of other things, it didn't work. But we finally got into a room, oh, about a month and a bit ago, and I loved chatting to him. He's so interesting and thoughtful and considered and lovely. And I just, yeah, I just loved spending an hour with him. And I really, I really, well, I was about to say I hope you do too, but I know that you're going to too. So we'll get to that conversation in just a moment. Uh, but before that, as ever the gorgeous emails that I receive that genuinely mean the world to me. Let's have a couple of those. Hi Susie, I wanted to thank you for all your hard work. I recently started listening to the podcast after a recommendation from a friend at work, Rich. We'd like to drop a clang here into the conversation because we think that we're a really rough version of you and Tom. Uh, That's a little reference to like-minded friends, which I'm sure lots of you listen to. (laughs) It's so good to hear stories from other LGBTQIA plus people. As even after being out for nearly three years now, I still have some wobbles in self-confidence, as I'm sure many of us do at times. Oh, yeah, me too, me too. I hope that my story, a very condensed version, can help someone in a similar position realise there is hope, even in a seemingly hopeless situation. I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness and moved up to a remote Scottish island when I was very young with my parents and my two older siblings. My parents wanted to help out a small congregation, so our childhood was very much centred around religion. Weekly preaching, meeting attendance and Bible studies were all fitted around our normal school routine. And as much as our parents were very loving, it would be fair to say that our upbringing was extremely strict. We moved back to England during my early teenage years and it was then that I realised that I liked girls. Although the signs have been there since I was very young, really, I just didn't know what it meant at that point. For example, I remember dressing up as Michael Flatley in Lord of the Dance when I was about six, wishing that I got to dance and show off to all the pretty women like he did. I mean, I'm not sure why I thought dancing in my dad's massive clogs were going to impress anyone, but we can hope. I remember the sheer panic 
that I felt when I realised that I liked girls. Homosexuality is viewed as a sin within my parents' religion, and I knew that if I came out, I would be cut off from family and friends. And so, for years, I squashed down my feelings, which in the end made me very ill. The first COVID lockdown gave me time to think and make a plan of action, as I reached quite a dark place and knew that I needed help. I came out to my siblings and their families first, who were absolutely amazing and the biggest support ever. I will never forget how much they helped me and I'll forever be grateful to them. I later told my parents, who were shocked and are still coming to terms with the news. Our relationship isn't how it used to be, but they still do keep in contact and they tell me how much they love me. However, I have been shunned by a lot of other family members and other close friends due to coming out as gay and also being very open about not wanting to be part of the religion anymore. This has been difficult to cope with at times, but now I have the freedom of living my truth, which is what I could only dream of before. I have a beautiful girlfriend who brings me more joy than she'll ever know and have made some good friends who accept me for who I am. I also reconnected with a great friend who has been in a very similar situation and we support each other. Hearing the podcast is so reassuring and reminds me that I'm not alone. So thank you again. Lots of love. And that's from Lucy. Lucy, thank you so much for getting in touch. I really appreciate the time that you took to write the email. I wonder if you wrote after David Atherton's conversation a couple of weeks ago, because he, different, definitely different religious stuff, but, you know, he uh, he had a real journey through religion to, to sort of living as himself. And if you haven't listened to that one yet, maybe you would enjoy it. I am so delighted to hear that you are in love and that you're happy and that you're that you're surrounded by people that, that love you for exactly who you are. I'm really happy for you, and thank you for getting in touch with the show. OK, let's have one more. Dear Susie, out was suggested to me by a colleague, and I'm really enjoying listening to every episode. My 17-year-old daughter recently came out, and I was surprised by my reaction. I wasn't disappointed, not at all. I'm very happy for her to be whoever she likes, but because I know that the world isn't truly accepting of LGBTQIA people. I'm really interested in global news and current affairs, so I am very aware of punishments around the globe for being gay and the constant debate around gay rights in America. It feels as though we're travelling back in time and it frightens me. My daughter identifies very proudly as a lesbian and she loves you. (laughs) Oh, that's sweet. She's always on your TikTok. I know I'm on TikTok. Am I too old for TikTok? Who knows? She was very surprised to learn that I'd been listening to Out, but secretly pleased, I think. I'm getting in touch to thank you for the show, for the chats and for the inclusivity. Also for speaking about being a gay woman. So often gay women's stories are missing from our history and even current media and TV shows. So it's wonderful for my girl to hear about your life and experiences. It's very hopeful for her and me. Well, that really means a lot. Uh, We are coming to see you in Oxford and we're both very excited. I'm under strict instructions not to embarrass her, but we are going to try and say hi afterwards. Thank you. And that's from Marie, who is a mum and an ally. Oh, Marie, this one really got me in the feels. Um, thank you very much. I I mean, yeah, I, I, I like talking about uh, my life um, and sharing it because as, as you know, if you listen to this or if you've seen me on tour, if you've seen the new tour, I didn't know anyone like me, really, when I was growing up. And yeah, I like to be honest about who I am and hope that other people might see me and think oh it's going to be all right that's the hope and your email really confirmed that Marie so thank you very much 
Okay, let's get on with today's conversation. This has been a bit of a rambly one, sorry. Um, I had quite a late night last night. I didn't even have a drink, but I got in so late and then read my book and had a cup of tea and then before I knew it, it was 1am. And, uh, and so I'm a bit all over the shop. Um, I'm off to Bradford tonight for the tour if you're coming. Well, if you're coming, this will be in the past, but I'll see you there. Uh, the tour is basically sold out now, which I'm delighted to say. Uh, we've got another run at the Soho Theatre. There's a handful of tickets left there and a handful of tickets in a couple of other venues, but not many now, which I am delighted by. I've met so many of you after shows and uh, chatting to you really means the world to me. I met someone called Shay last night. Uh, Hi, Shay. Thank you for coming and thank you for uh, sharing your story with me uh, after the show. Right. That's enough of me rambling, isn't it? Isn't it? Let's get on with today's conversation. Oh, I loved this. I loved this chat with Kadoof. I think you can tell I basically fall in love with him. Let's listen to that conversation. Oh, listener, I am very excited for today's interview. Kadif Cohen is an actor, writer with roles in some of British television's biggest hits of the last few years. You'll have seen him in Fleabag, Chewing Gum, Black Mirror, This Is Going To Hurt, Slow Horses, and that just names a few of them. His theatre CV is equally as impressive, having performed at the National Theatre, the Donmar Warehouse, the Old Vic, and loads of others. Gaining a place at Central School of Speech and Drama 18, he finally found his identity, and in his words, stepped into his power. In a recent interview, Khadif said, I bloody love being queer. It's a beautiful thing. And I couldn't agree more. It was a bit of a journey for me to get there. And let's find out if it was similar for Khadif as we go on with this conversation. I'm so excited to chat to him. I don't mind telling you that it took us ages to try and organise this. I've been emailing him for a while. And I think this is his first ever podcast interview. So I feel very lucky indeed. A brilliant actor who refuses to be pigeonholed. He has an ease on stage and on screen that some can only dream of. This is clearly just the beginning for Kadif and I am delighted to be spending an hour with him today. Hello. Hello. <laughs> that is quite the introduction. Well, right I'm there. very excited to chat to you. Well, I might get a record clipping of that and use it as my voicemail. <laughs> you please do. Yeah, and then just say send a text. Oh, yeah. That's, just, that's... just please respond with a text message yeah. or a WhatsApp. Exactly. Oh, How are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I thought this was your first interview because it I is. usually listen to people. Yeah, this is my uh, podcast virginity being taken in oh the I'm best be way. Really, I'm going to be really gentle. Please. And I'll look into your eyes please, all the time. <laughs> please, you've already provided me with a hot beverage to really ease in. Yeah, so that's what I do. That's, that's nice. my way. <laughs> How are you today? I'm really good today. Um, very nippy outside. It is. You look. I just need to tell the listener. <laughs> it's a black roll neck. It's a cardigan over the top. It's Is it a wide leg trouser? It's a wide leg it's trouser. It's a wide leg it trouser. indeed. It's, and it, it's it's purple on mauve, on white, on black, on the cardigan. And <laughs> and, and your hair is sort of auburn Yeah, like half brown. auburn, half brown, um, sort of and black. And it's got some uh, some I mean, gold accoutrements in there. You look beautiful. <laughs> oh, stop you it, look, you, you do. Look, you walked in. Well, listen, she looks hot. She looks tired. She's got a toddler. But um, she, she must stop talking about herself in the third person. <laughs> she must not. She off. must not. It is our culture and we will claim it. Um... But you look brilliant. Oh, you you said you. that you like this season, though. This is my favourite time of year for fashion because I think that every single person can have something, from, probably has things from years and years before yes. that will always be broken out because it's about keeping warm. Yes. And it's about being individual. Yeah. Whereas in summer, people just don't want to wear anything because it's hot. Yeah, and, and I we don't, don't have air conditioning people. in this country, so yeah, you don't. Also... I don't like those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you're too naked. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. My mom. I've got a coat that was my mum's. That's from Wallace. 
Oh. Which is a lovely little sort of throwback to High Street Days. Heirloom, lovely. And it's, and I feel so chic in it. I don't know if I look that chic. No, if you feel it, you are. But in my mind, I'm like, look at me, just sort of (laughs) being Cape Blanchett and Carol. Look at me. (laughs) Great reference. It's all I'm ever trying to be. The queen. Yeah, exactly. Um, You're having such a busy time. It's really exciting. It's a really. I didn't even mention that the Evening Standard said, like, you are a star of tomorrow. <laughs> which is which I find so funny. Um, it's, do you know what? It's always really nice when other people say nice things, because I just usually just say nice things about myself. So, um, <laughs> no, it's, it's really nice. Um, I mean, I've been, I graduated from drama school in 2011. I've been fortunate enough to work in different mediums since then. Mm-hmm. Um, You've relative, worked non-stop. Rel- yeah, I, I, I always find it quite cringe saying non-stop, but I have worked non-stop, guys, I have. But it's fantastic, no, but it, it, it's, it's so rare. Yeah, it's it's been really... I mean, I really... graduated from drama school and I was one of those women that waitressed <laughs> so much. I was such a... you you got, you got to do it though, haven't you? waitress. Well, I did that, that was my gap year. I, I was a waiter for a year. I moved to London and I became a waiter for a year in a Michelin star restaurant. And I, boy, oh boy, oh, oh we will touch on that you. later. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, it's it's a really nice time currently. Um, I'm feeling extremely creative. Um, I'm trying to pour all of the love, light, and trauma that I have in my life and the things that I've learned into my work and into my friendships and into my my being. My pores just wanted mm. to be pouring out, and thankfully some. For some reason, I don't know why, but the industry is really responding to that. And it's because you're really good. <laughs> you're so watchable. What, um, Alice and I finished Slow Horses last night. And it's really good. When Giddy you grabbed up. that gun, I was like, fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I'm really fangirling, but I don't mind doing that. I think we should be fangirling each other and fanboying. Hey. Uh, everyone. Uh, the, the, you know, I think it's always good to tell people when you think that they're brilliant. But I think it was, you're so... You really refuse to be pigeonholed, <laughs> which is just so brilliant. And I think it's so, so frequently in our community within our industry, they go sort of like, you're the gay one, you'll do the gay things. Absolutely. And, absolutely. you know, if I ever, I mean, I really infrequently get castings these days, but when I do, it's always like, she's a tomboy. Yeah, <laughs> she's, yeah. you know, walks in wearing a suit, like, you know, no shit. She takes no shit. And, and it's, it's always coded like lesbian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They might not say it, but, they, but, but it, they they've said it. it. Yeah. <laughs> but you've managed to not... You, you've managed to not have that be it placed in that box. Yeah, that was an active decision that myself and my... I hate saying the word team, but my, my agents... He's got a team. He um, he made when I, when I graduate from drama school, I'm still with the same agent that I was with at drama school. Fantastic. And um, we've grown together. He's so so wonderful shout out to James Benford um he's so brilliant and so kind and so wonderful but one of the first conversations we had was that I first of all I said in the first five six years of being out there I don't want to play a criminal yes I don't want to play someone who's selling drugs or shanking people on the street or yeah, doing any of these things on because buying a bike, selling yep. this, that and the other or being something that wasn't my experience growing up. Do you know what? I had a really nice childhood mm-hmm. and my teenage years, of course, like everyone else, were littered with certain issues of mm-hmm. like, you know, I was dealing with coming out and my identity and moving to the UK because, yes. you know, I was, I was born in the Caribbean in Montserrat and we moved because of really, really awful circumstances, you yeah. know, um, <clears throat> A volcano erupted on the island yes. um, that was once dormant and it wiped out 80% of the infrastructure of the island, right. killed many people, including two of my aunts. Mm-hmm. And you move to a new country. I remember like 
when I got off the plane at Heathrow with my siblings and my mum, uh, my, my dad came after, like my one of my brothers and I, we turned and I was automatically I was like, why is everyone looking? And I realised I'd never seen this many white people before in my life. I'd never been, that was the moment I realised, oh God, I'm not, we're not the majority here. Right. I'd, 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 basically, I moved to the UK and realised I was black right. because yeah. it was never, uh, yeah. it was never really discussed. Because you just you're just going about your life in the Caribbean, yeah. living your life. And we had a really lovely, lovely time. What's so, Montserrat like? Montserrat. What was it like, rather? Um, well, there's still, there's still some people there. Mm -hmm. um, I still have distant relatives there. Montserrat. It's called the Emerald Isle of the Caribbean mm -hmm. because it looks extremely similar to Ireland. Right. Um, my last name is Kerwin, which is Irish, of course. Mm -hmm. Shout out to slavery for that. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's like we inherited these things. Montserrat is one of the only islands outside of like Ireland that. I say Ireland like an Irish I know, person. I like it. Because um, <laughs> I've got lots of great Irish friends. But um, it's one of the only islands that celebrates St. Patrick's Day as an absolute holiday. Um, Mother Ireland is in our flag. Right. Um, and you will find people in Montserrat that sound like that, fully Irish. So the thing is, it's like when I think it was Cromwell's Britain, lots of the Irish down and out, the cons and, and the criminals were sent to oversee the slaves in Montserrat. Right, so okay. there's this whole Irish history there. The colours of the island are all... And is there an Irish community there? It's like a black Irish community. It's so, so interesting. Myself mm. and my, all of my good pals, you know, um, Ashling B, yeah. we've been trying to amalgamate an idea to, 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 yes. to see what... Try and flesh that out and see what, what we can do with that. Um, I'd so, watch that. Yeah, yeah. Cause, um, but once we're at was, you know, I... It was a very small island, population of 14,000 people. Yeah. Tiny, absolutely tiny, 35 square miles. Get up in the morning, you're at school eight till one, because after one o'clock it gets too hot. Right. So you get to stay indoors. So from 1.30, you're at the beach. You know, you're at the beach with your friends or my siblings or whatever. And um, I was from a pretty staunch religious family. Uh -huh. So my parents, um, I was raised Seventh-day Adventist and the church community was a very, very, very big part of um, life in the Caribbean. Seven Day Adventist, how is that different to, I guess not C of E, because then I know that C of E is Church of England and mm. it's, it's a lot of raffles and a lot of sort of bric-a-brac sales, it seems. <laughs> From my childhood, that's what a lot of it seemed. But is it that Seven Day Adventists are particularly dedicated? Do you go to church every day, does it? When I was growing up, we were up at six in the morning for... Bible study before before school. Right, okay. So we were up at sunrise, mm -hmm. did about 40 minutes of Bible verses, hymns, mm -hmm. Bible stories before we even went to school or before we even ate. That was like, wow. that was just the standard thing you'd do. Yeah. And like, say you get up in the morning, turn your lights on or whatever. They'd be like, in the neighbourhood, they'd be like 40 lights. Everyone would be doing the same thing. Really? It was, it, the Seventh-day Adventism in, in Montserrat and in the Caribbean in general was quite big. Right, okay. Lots of missionaries went there, like the Mormons do, you know, when oh, they go and do right, the thing. So okay. lots of missionaries went to the Caribbean and I yeah. think that's why it's stuck so, sure. um, so rigidly. Yes. Um, and what would it, what would Montserrat look like? Oh. Like, paint a picture for people that... Um, plush with greenery. Right, plush, okay. plush, plush. You've got iguanas, parrots, Cherokees. You've got mango trees in the back garden. You've got goats, sheep. Uh, everyone had a dog. And we had this gorgeous, gorgeous house with a wraparound veranda. And we had a lot of land in the back. We had, we had, we had pineapple trees. We had guava trees. We had tamarind trees. We had, 
It was just very, very green, very community-based, tiny little roads. But because Montserrat is a um, British overseas territory, mm-hmm. we had like red phone boxes and red post boxes and oh, this wow. sort of imperial colonial feel to it in a very similar way to Gibraltar. Right, yes. Were you aware of that? Only when I moved to the UK. Right, So okay. I had no reference for anything. Yeah, okay, sure, sure. It's sure, like sure. when I moved to the UK and I saw snow for the first time, I was like, whoa, this is this is not just on TV, this is crazy. Right. Like, so it, I, had to, I didn't have a reference point for... I just thought, oh, this is just the way the island is. Uh-huh. This is just pretty normal. And we'd island hop. My mum's family was from Dominica, which is two islands mm-hmm. over. And quite similar but didn't have that colonial feel to it mm-hmm. Montserrat was pretty pretty colonial and it's it's made it's been made famous because it had um, air studios on it so oh right yeah so George Michael Elton John Wham Sting all of them Michael Jackson Stevie Wonder they all recorded, recorded there. the most yeah. famous albums you can think of were all recorded in Montserrat it's wild it's really wild <laughs> and it sounds idyllic it, it was yeah if you're straight right <laughs> Yeah, I mean... It, As a little gay boy, I always knew I was gay. I always knew I was very different from, like... Right. Li- from, I want to say, from, like, four years old. I yeah. always knew. So I always, on top of that, knew that I would never stay on the island. You left when you were eight, so even before eight, you were aware that, Fully. like... Homopho- oh. like, the, the, like, you were aware of, like, the homophobic belief... It was in the church. It was, right, it, yeah. was in the, it was in the scriptures. It was in the stories. It was in the attitude. It was... Homosexuality was seen as a Western, quote-unquote, white White. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there'd be all of these... It was sort of in the infrastructure of cuss words and, you know, all these little things. And I was very, very aware from very early on that I was gay and that I would have to, in order to live my life, not be on this island. Mm. I, I always thought I'd move to America from the age of like five, six, I was like, I knew that I, I wouldn't, wouldn't always be on the, the island for some. I don't know what that but there was, was but there was, there was something that said to me, you can't spread your wings here. It might have changed. Mm. I doubt it has. And I should also point out, I do love where I'm from. Mm-hmm. I love the people. I love my history. But we have to do better. But those two things can coexist, can't absolutely. they? Absolutely, and they will. Yeah, I'm going to make sure it happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's something that it's something that I feel in a totally different way, but like a disappointment of like where you're from. Because I'm just sort of English through and through. I think I've, I don't think anyone's ever left Portsmouth. I think I'm the first <laughs> one. We just go way back. But you know, you can I can sort of love things about England and mm-hmm. the in English stuff, mm-hmm. and then like really hate a lot of stuff and yeah. hate. And, it, and it's it's a weird thing to have that duality of being like, well, I. You know, I'm proud of my granddad that fought in the Second World War and I'm mm-hmm. proud of that element of my family history, but then, you know, cloaked in all this, you know, you mentioned colonial stuff, but then also sort of just prejudices. Good old-fashioned prejudice. Yeah, which yeah. is just, it's sometimes hard to align those things in yourself where you're like, mm. how am I lots of things? Mm. But I'm, but I'm but, just but, me. But I don't fit into <laughs> any of these yeah. things. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a strange one. So when you, so you mentioned briefly... It was a volcano that erupted on Montserrat. The volcano erupted in 1995. Soufria Hills Volcano. It's got such a chic name. <laughs> Soufria. It's nice. Uh, <laughs> Soufria Hills so Volcano. Yeah. You were... So, I don't know how old you are. I was... I don't know if you share your age. <laughs> five, I was five or six when yeah. it erupted. 
And we left pretty early. Really? Yeah. So my, it had been dormant for years and years and years. It had been dormant forever. Right, it, okay. There was the odd earthquake, I think, or right. the odd shift of things, but never, never, never did I think it was going to erupt. The first time it erupted, I was at school. It was a really hot day. I think it was about five or six. And I went to a Seventh-day Adventist school mm-hmm. on the island. Um, religious school. Ah, God bless him. Um, but two of my um, older siblings were there also, my two brothers, and cousins and stuff and we just had lunch and it was the hottest most sunny day I remember I was sweating because we were playing cricket at lunchtime Mm -hmm. and we went back in um, for our afternoon lesson just before we were broken for the rest for the day and it was really bright and within about 20 minutes it was pitch black outside it was it was like the dead of night and what had happened was there'd been a pyroclastic flow and the ash had gotten into the air and it had eclipsed the sun and we got evacuated straight away. Like there so, was it was like dusty outside. It was, was it? it was. Well, we were kids, so like we were like, oh my god, it's snowing. Right, this is like yeah. we had no idea, and it was like soot and ash. The only way I can liken it to is like we've all seen those images from nine eleven. Yeah, yeah. When people were running away from the clouds of yeah, ash yeah, yeah. that were falling from the buildings. That's exactly what it was like. Like you could not see your black skin. You were grey. Right, and you were you were peeling it out of your eyes. Um, it went straight into the classrooms, and yeah, I just remember kids screaming. My two older brothers came to find me. They came into my class and they grabbed me, and they put us all on the school buses, and we drove to the north side of the island, and we got to a really high peak um, at this this lookout point, and we were looking back at the rest of the island, and it was just pitch black. You could see the lava falling down the side of the mountain. That must have been terrifying. Oh, completely. I am I'm in therapy. So I'm still yeah. I'm still unpacking all of that because it's like it's. It's wild because on top of all of that trauma, all of that trauma afforded me a life in this country that I have taken with both hands Mm -hmm. and that wasn't promised to me and that Mm -hmm. I've, I strive to do the most I can with, but it came out of such an awful situation. I often tussle with that in my mind to go, God, what would it have been like had that not happened? But hey. You go, you got to play the card you're dealt, dealt, Yeah. Yeah. But it was mad. Yeah. We moved. It erupted. My parents were like, no, we're going. Really? So, and thankfully we had um, Antigua's the island next door. Yes. So we moved to Antigua. We had a little place there and we moved to Antigua and we were there for a year and a half or two years and then we moved to the UK. I mean, when you're talking about Monster and you're like, there's parrots, there's mango trees, there's pineapples, there's iguanas, the lush green <laughs> going to the beach. And then you moved to Preston. And oh, you, yes. Listen, I've played Preston. Yeah. I know Preston. I've yep. had a good time in Preston. Yeah. But that is quite the shift. Oh, yeah. De Preston, as I like to call it. <laughs> Shout out to Preston. I do love you because my family lived there. But what a culture shock. Oh, my God. You already mentioned seeing, like, so many white people. Yeah. I'm thinking about, like, architecture, infrastructure, everything. how things look, the food, just everything. The food. God, there were so many things that, like, just Music, like, sounds. What the hell? Well, we got to the UK... And Did you know anyone here? We had aunts, uncles in London. Okay. Because, so because Montserrat is an overseas territory, British territory, sure. it's like your people come and go. Yeah, sure, the, sure, sure. Because you're born with a yeah. British passport. Yeah. Sort of got all sovereignty and all that. Um, so I had aunts and uncles who lived in London and in Birmingham. And a year before we moved to Preston, my mum's sister, my aunt, had moved to Preston also. They okay. basically had found... Preston already had a Caribbean um, society and right, it, ha- okay. it had quite a few people that had moved over via the Windrush yes. um, settlement. So my aunt, 
had lived here with two of my cousins who we grew up with. Sure. Um, so my mum was like, okay, I'll move here. And they just both lost their, two of their elder sisters in the volcano. Right, of course. So yeah. it, made, it made more sense for them to all try and be together be in here, one yeah. place, in a place that they felt safe. But I remember when we moved to the UK and like we were, we were driving and then we arrived in Preston and we saw like, I saw like, the terrace, terraced houses and stuff. And I swear to God, my mum was like, where's the rest of the house? What what what, do you, what is this? <laughs> we because like I ain't trying to brag on nothing, but Montauk was a tiny island, but people had space. People had space. Mm-hmm. People really worked for what they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mum had a lovely cleaning business. My dad was an electrician, and they'd worked really hard. They had three kids at that point, and we had a lovely house. We went on lovely holidays. We had a great community, and everything got you know completely destroyed but we moved to the uk and it was like moving to like a three-bed council house yeah and my parents were just like you know you get like your your back garden and you're like they were like where was the rest yeah. <laughs> like but without that and i i should add they were so grateful but it was a real shift yeah it was a real shift like because in the uk you just felt boxed in yeah and having so much agency living somewhere that's sort of your home mm. country to then be like a fish out of water complete fish out of water new currency new new dialects new f- slang phrases new everything would you as a child have had a Caribbean accent oh fully yeah yeah I came like fresh off the boat like I was like proper like proper Carib yeah yeah and my, my mum said I lost my accent within about three months really yeah I was just trying to fit in it was just of like course. yeah I'd, and yeah I'd, I had quite a broad northern accent um, quite early on my mum said when you went to central then I went to drama like, school and they were like no <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, now going to rinse that one out we're gonna, yeah you're going to be in debt while we get rid of your accent <laughs> but no yeah it was it was just a complete culture shock and then I, I went to primary school like, I was in year five when I moved here um, and I was the only black kid mm-hmm. you know yeah. all of those things were you welcomed? With open arms. Yeah. With I've complete read, open arms. I read some stuff about you talking about your schooling and it's really heartening yeah, to hear I had, that, 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 that Preston was a place like that in the 90s. Yeah, it, it really was. My primary school, like, I felt like the most popular kid. You know, there was the odd thing of like, you'd, you'd get the odd student like touching my skin and, be, and trying and rubbing it, being like, oh my God, it doesn't come off. Oh my God, that's meant that. <laughs> like, and I'd be like... Oh yeah, that's my skin. <laughs> like, but because I didn't, ha- for me, it wasn't, I wasn't receiving it in a malice way because I didn't know anyone's intentions. I was just taking what I saw yeah. and it was done with a smile. Right. So it was, yeah, looking back, it's a bit more like, you know, oof. Yeah. But I'm also happy that my naivety allowed me to just trust in people's goodness. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I had great teachers. I had one particular teacher at primary school called Mrs. Decker, who was just so kind to me so so kind and just made me feel like one of the one of just one of the kids in the class and yeah I I think I was really fortunate I think had I moved had I been a little bit older and went straight to like secondary school or something it might have been a bit different but I think because I was like eight nine I was I was only little so it it, it was um yeah I had a really nice like did you when you got here did you I loved it other than the terrace house (laughs) oh yeah other than the terraced house (laughs) and the the lack of the sun and the lack lack of of sun the the animals and all the nice things all of the lovely things I mean we were layered up long johns everything layers vests um but no I I I think kids are really good at adapting to things yeah um and I feel that 
it was the place we were meant to be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the odd thing happened, but I really, yeah, I wouldn't have changed a thing to be honest with you. That's really nice to hear. So I was tossing up in my head which question to ask, which was, at what point did you realise you were quite theatrical? And then I thought, no, shall I start with saying, at what point did you realise that you might not be straight? And then I thought, those two things might be <laughs> <laughs> the same around the same thing. time. But you had said before that you knew from an early age mm-hmm. that like, oh, I can't flourish mm-hmm. in Montserrat, for want of a better word. But um, by the time that you were in Preston, were you aware of your differences in regards to your sexuality to yeah. other kids yeah fully the thing is I was always quite a sporty so I did I, I did athletics from the moment I landed in the UK really. right okay um, I was really really active um, uh, triple jump long jump 100, 200 and 400 metres right I was just sports yeah running club after school all that stuff like great way to make friends as a kid as well really good way and yeah and I had this a great there was a great after school teacher who just he was just like you're the only black kid in the school and you're really fast do you want to run the running club <laughs> like yep. and I was like yeah this would be great and I'm, yeah, I made a load of friends and stuff And but I'm like growing up like my cousins and stuff like I they said I, I was over Christmas um, we were talking to my cousins and like they said I'd always be balancing on one leg so I was I used to want to be a trapeze artist like and, and a tightrope walker uh-huh. like so like my cousins would be like dance on one leg <laughs> I'd be like this I'd put both my arms out and I'd be on one leg like just like trying to balance it was and they were like they. my cousins were like yeah they knew like I always just wanted to sort of perform and do mm-hmm. I mean standing on one leg is not a skill <laughs> but the way you present don't, it don't say that to trapeze artists you know okay. but um, I knew I was quite different to like my brothers for instance yeah. um, although I was sporty and stuff I I just didn't enjoy the things that they enjoyed mm-hmm. video games all that kind of stuff the the sort of i didn't want to i didn't watch any sort of sports i took part in in yeah. athletics but when it sure. came to like football stuff like that nah drop me out that was not the one for me mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I i knew i was i knew i was queer from a very very early age and and moving to the uk i was like oh this is interesting because I was sort of seeing, cause there were little things on TV. Like I remember, like watching, like was it the price supermarket suite, right, with, with Dale Winton? Yeah, was it Dale Winton? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, he's definitely gay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah, know what gay sure. meant, but you knew. That but I knew that. that he was gay. Yeah. And I knew that he looked really happy. Yeah. Yeah. And God, isn't that so? Seeing a queer person happy when you're a young person and you're working yourself out, isn't it like? It's just. It just like does something to your heart. Mm. You're like, oh, it's possible. Mm. You can be both things. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt anyway. Do you remember the, I have like a really distinct memory of being in London when I was, I think about 10 or 11. And I saw two girls holding hands. And I was like, <sighs> oh my God. My first thought was, I bet their mums know. Because <laughs> that was the biggest issue for me, be telling my mum. Was there a moment, do you remember when you saw, where you were like, where you saw, I don't know, s- s- queer people in real life do you know what I can't actually think of when the first time was I, I really can't think when the first time was I think it was just it was mainly TV yeah um, yeah I think it was TV and then it was Queer as Folk of course yeah that comes up yeah it was that of course it was yeah. <laughs> it was whoa so much what Watching is the sound this down. yeah, yeah. 
It was Queer as Folk and Eurotrash. Oh, yeah. With Antoine Ducos. Yeah. And Lola. <laughs> Lola Ferrari. Yeah, with the massive With face. the massive knockers, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that Rest was. Her style. Bless such her. a. Yeah. I, I remember watching Queer as Folk, and, you know, I'm not a gay guy, but I was like, these are my people. I don't yeah. know how I know, but these are my people. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it just it made sense to me. Mm. Shout out to Channel 4 for making that content. Yeah, you know? Ross T Davies as per. Yep, yep. Trailblazer from day. But like it was yeah, it was it was those kind of things that I was like, wow, this is interesting. And then like boy bands growing up, mm-hmm. like I loved boy bands. I loved Westlife. I loved B2K, who were an American boy yeah. band. Ba, ba, ba. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, B2K. I saw them um, supporting Destiny's Child. Destiny's Child. I mean, I am the, the fourth. The fourth member. <laughs> okay. Um, Destiny's Child, like um, Backstreet Boys, sync, like freaking Bewitched, like Steps, all mm-hmm. of that. All that pop culture stuff, like basically MTV, mm. solidified my queerness. Yeah, growing up. Yeah, I hear and that. Seeing like mixed groups of like bands, and seeing the women happy and the men happy, and them interacting and it not being sexual was so important as well. Yes, we just like, oh my god, these are like a load of mates. Yeah, people are friends who are performing, and I think he's gay because he's got curtains in his hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Shout out to H. Yeah, like. <laughs> But, but no, I know you know you all those little things. Um, I mean, on to, I mean, I've got to point out. Obviously, there wasn't there was not many black no. people or bands or stuff in the queer space. Yes, but what was there? I for some reason color didn't matter to me at that point. Mm-hmm. I was just see, happy seeing people living their life mm. and not being you know held back by it. Not sort of. Not it not being a bad thing because I was going hindrance. to yeah because I was going to church every Saturday and being preached that it was terrible and if you you're gay you're going to hell like every single Saturday and how long was that like all through your teens oh yeah for my for my time yeah growing till I was about sixteen seventeen would have been say. would it have been an option for you to say you didn't want to go to church yeah. oh hell no no, no. <laughs> quite, quite. quite. <laughs> um, no um, my my father my dad was an elder in the church okay. My mum was a deaconess right. in the church. I sang in the church. Mm-hmm. I was in a, oh my God, I was in a Christian boy band with my with two of my brothers and two of my cousins called Like One. Mm-hmm. I was the lead singer and we'd we'd sing in church. We'd do special items every Saturday and we'd go to different churches and different conferences and sing about the power of Christ in an R&B fashion, completely a cappella. If there's any videos of that stuff out there, please burn it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just, I, for me, church became just a place where I could sort of perform and sing and mm-hmm. it not be seen as an effeminate thing. Yeah. Because if yes. you had a skill set and you were using it for God, then it was a great thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. You can package it up. <laughs> you for can package everyone it else. up for everything else. And they, and they go, oh my God. And then you'd get a little shake from a little auntie and you'd, you pull your hand away and there'd be a fiver in it <laughs> you know because they'd be like you sang really great today mm. or whatever so I was like okay this might be a little this might be something here you knew in yourself that you were gay then but was the idea of coming out even um, I always so no so right. I, it took me a while to sort of reconcile with how my coming out was going to affect my family in my head mm-hmm. so 
when I eventually came out, I came out the day after my 18th birthday. I came out on my 18th birthday. That's quite young. Yeah, yeah. I came out on my 18th birthday to my brother in a nightclub. Right. <laughs> with, in Preston. In Preston. With my friends from sixth form and my brother and his girlfriend and my ex-girlfriend was there also. Because sure. um, uh, they were sisters. My brothers. Right, sure. Um, but I came out that night and my brother took it really, really well. I told my brother's girlfriend first. And she was like, I think you should tell your brother. And I was like, yeah, I probably should. <laughs> I told him and he was like, I love you. You're my brother, I don't care. Like, he was really, really, really kind. And the day after that, he was like, we should tell mum and dad together. We had a Sunday meal. Um, and he came with me upstairs to my parents' room. And like, oh God, it was such a... It was a mad, 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 mad evening. So I walked into my mum and dad's room. My mum was ironing and my dad was watching telly. And... You, you don't have to share no, this. No, 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 no. It, it's the only reason I, 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 I'm thinking about it all because I, I, I recently both, lost both my parents. Mm. My my um, dad died in um, 2021 to COVID mm. on Valentine's Day. And my mum passed away last year. Um, after an extremely short battle with pancreatic cancer. Mm. So when I think of them, it just all, you know... Yeah, of course, but I don't want you to feel no, like no, no, you it, have to share anything. No, I, oh, thank you for that. But um, yeah, it, it's a part of who I am. So it's... Mm. Um, but no, I. my mum was ironing and my dad was just like watching telly and my my brother came in with me and he just went, Kadoo's got someone to tell you. <laughs> and I'm doing the voices. And my mum stopped ironing my dad turned the telly off and they looked at me and they were like what and I just burst into tears like and you know that kind of crying where you can't breathe Sob. it was oh my god it was it was hell I was just like convulsing with tears it was really really bad and my mum just was just so panicked and she was like what's going on are you okay are you in trouble with the police are you are you failing your exams do you need money what's going mm. on what's going on and my, my dad wasn't saying anything. He was just staring at me with this really, really sort of tenuous look on his face. And I turned to my brother and he just went, basically, he's gay and left the room. Oh <laughs> I laugh now. But yeah, that's how that's what how that happened. And my mum just burst into tears. Yeah. For her, it was like it meant that my soul was going to go to hell. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about the immediate person in front of her or her no. son. It was about the afterlife and the, the religion yeah. that she'd been a staunch member of since she was a child. Yeah. And my dad, my dad wasn't, my dad was not very kind. My dad was actually really, really vile um, in that conversation. Really, really hurtful. Some things that he said to me that I will, I won't repeat, but it was really, really, really hard to, to receive that from mm. The person that you look up to in the respect that he, the head of the house and the person that's the provider in that mm. sense. Um, but we had a really, really long conversation. My mum and my dad and I, my dad was really quite hot with it all. Mm. He, he was quite, it was quite heated on his part. And my mum was just sort of, yeah, it was really bad. And she, she cried for about two weeks and my room my bedroom wall is next to my parents and I could hear her crying at night time just like 
just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing because she just she didn't know what it meant but here's the thing my mum's best friend at work was gay and it's just like babe come on are you fucking joking like this is crazy you've you've got queer people in your life and you love him he's been around the house you talk about him all the time you say how much of a light he is and how brilliant he is you've asked him to come to church um but it's different but it's when, different when it's in your house yeah um but I, my, not as bad as that my parents response wasn't great mm, we're great now mm-hmm. but and i remember thinking like but you know gay people <laughs> but it's like but it was so different that it was me completely yeah like at one point my dad <laughs> my dad turned and was like you can't be black and gay you're gonna get nowhere oh god <laughs> I stored those words and I used it as my kindling for my fire you know yeah and, and fuck me it's working it's working I mean I should I should point out my parents came round mm-hmm. it took them a long time I, I moved to London so that I, I just turned 18 I was still at sixth form and that was in the the February I think you're uh, brave coming out when you still live at home as well yeah well the thing I, is I didn't have that courage I fully thought the moment I come out, I lose my family. So I was, I'd been saving up a little bit of money mm. and I was convinced. I'm so sorry. I'm that, so sorry to little you that but, you felt like that. But it's so hard. I, think it, so many I, of us feel I, like that. I just didn't see a way that they were going to be okay with it. But mm-hmm. I knew that in the eyes of the law, I was 18 years old and yeah. I was a fucking adult. Mm-hmm. And being an adult, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to claim this, I'm going to own this because I'm not ashamed of it. I'm absolutely not ashamed of who I am. And I was saying to my mum, I was like, mum, like... I love who I am, you love who I am. Like, there's nothing wrong here. Mm. Like, instead of thinking about the stuff that we've got no control over, like when you die, think about me getting into uni and think about me saving money for good school and me yeah. getting good friends and me getting a good job. Why don't you think about that and my life here rather than something we have no control over? Yeah. And eventually we just, my mum and I, we had so many conversations, lots and lots of conversations. And that September I decided to take a gap year I moved to London. I'd spent all my money that summer and I moved to London with £125 in my pocket. I had my suitcase, this little bit of money, and I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to become the person I already feel like. And did you know then that it was... Were you like, I'm going to go to drama school? I'm going to yes, say that. Yes, yeah. Like- so I was really good at maths at school. So I was doing maths and performing arts mm-hmm. at sixth form. The and classic duo. <laughs> just, you know... <laughs> <laughs> really, really good with money and performing. Um, no, but yeah, I, 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 it had been the thing that like, I mean, my dad still thought I was at uni doing maths, accounting. Accounting, yeah. yeah. My, like my dad fully, <laughs> fully thought I was in accounting, um, which was great. Um, but my mum knew I was auditioning for drama school. I, I went to an open call that summer that I found at the back of the stage mm-hmm. for The Lion King, and I got right down to the finals to play Simba. And the casting director from that was like, "We think you should." you'd really benefit from going to drama school and from getting a bit of life experience. And that same summer, I'd auditioned for drama schools already and I got into a, f- a few, but not the ones that I wanted to go mm-hmm. to. So I deferred a place at one and I was like, I'm, I'm going to have a gap year. And I moved to London that year. I got a job working in a... Do you remember Gary Rhodes? Yeah. The celebrity chef? Yeah. I worked for Gary Rhodes as a waiter and then a host. That is Michelin Star Restaurant in Marble Arch. Right. It was called Rhodes W1. I bet you saw like... Oh. All kinds of people, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. People watching must have been oh, really amazing. good. It was amazing. And I was exposed to a lot of things. Mm. A lot of, a lot of things, you know, when, when people have money. Yeah. Everything's on the menu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, including things that you're like, oh, whoa, that's crazy. But no, I moved. I auditioned for drum school that same year. I met a load of queer people in London. Yeah. I moved and I I was just like, okay, I 
didn't really know how my life was going to pan out and stuff, but I just knew that this was the place for me. Mm-hmm. I moved to East London and within about seven or eight months, well, I, I worked at Sainsbury's first for three weeks, I should point out, on the mm. ca- on the tills, and I got that <laughs> was not for me. Yeah. It was not chic enough. No issues with anyone who does that. Listen. Look. But you've got to know what you're doing. This gonna, little black hair boy from Preston was not, was, not, was not moving to London to be doing that. But, um, I got into drama. I got into a, quite a few drama schools that mm-hmm. year of auditioning. I think because I didn't have the pressure of living with my parents and my siblings or anything like that, I was earning my own money. Yeah, I was. I was just free. I was free, very that. Um, I was and I was. I was settling into my skin, and I got into the school I wanted to go to, which was Central School of Speech and Drama, mm-hmm. and. I Which went. is a really good drama school. Yeah, it it, yeah. it it did what it needed to do. I remember just feeling so relieved when I got in. It wasn't even like, oh my god, I can't. it was like, okay, this step is the okay. step. Okay, step I'm, one's done. Step one's yeah. And now I can see the ladder. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I know that you said that it felt like you stepped into your power when you went to drama school. Was it? Was it there that you sort of thought? You know, did you think there, like, okay, right, I'm not going to be someone that's pigeonholed. I'm not going to be doing this. I'm not going to be doing that. Like, were you quite ambitious from, like, day dot? Like, I know what I want to do and I know what I don't want to do. Because I feel like at drama school, it's often, this is your casting. Like, I was I, like, I was told about my casting type really early on. And I remember a teacher saying to me, oh, you just, you're not, you're, I was, I graduated at, like, 21. And they were like, you're just not a young leading lady you're coming to your own in your 40s and I remember being like that's like a hundred years Years away how am I gonna how am I gonna and like you know I think sometimes casting directors and sometimes people that teach at drama schools they can be really harsh and actually Mm -hmm. be quite damaging absolutely but did you have that sort of steeliness I had the street smarts to, to know that not everything that I heard was gospel right sure that's because had that been the case I wouldn't have been at drama school yeah 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 yeah. you know but I was the first black male on the course in about five years or something like that how how is that possible <laughs> and they love to remind me about it they were constantly reminding what, me like you were lucky yeah oh fuck that absolutely and oh, when i got to third what a year shame. no yeah they because they were trying to like have us all assimilate you know yes they were really trying to break you down to build you up and i was like i've, I've already been broken down babe. I've, I've escaped a volcano i'm yeah. good like i'm, yeah. I'm good and like, <laughs> i'm here because i want to be here and also it's not charity i'm getting myself into debt paying your mortgage to be here yes. so train me give me yeah, what yeah, i yeah. need because this is my life yeah i hate all of that break you down but i drop and all that nope <laughs> I, like, I was like lived I'm, enough you've had you've had it yeah I was like I've already lived babes yeah I'm, I'm not I'm not the person you're not you're not come out of like private school and had everything handed to you nope I was already working very very hard I was yeah. I was like I had a, from the first term of Central I was one of the like I think there were maybe six or seven of us in my year who didn't go to boarding school oh or didn't right board, or sure. didn't go to private school or didn't go to like and that that is no slight to the people that no, were in no, my no. class, but if that's their upbringing, this was mine, and like it was it was a very different culture shift of mm-hmm. of going oh wow, people, I'm meeting people my age who have never had to worry about anything. Yeah, never had about a job. A, never had a job. Yeah, like I had a job from first term. I worked at the Hampstead Theatre opposite as an oh, usher. Yeah. I was for the for my entire time at drama school. People mm. were like going after school, you know, for a drink. I'm like, I've got a shift on, babe. I'm, yeah, I've got to pay to be here. Yeah, I was I, the same. I had to work Saturdays and Sundays. And I remember people being like, "Oh, we're all going out on Friday night." But like, no, I've got to be in a cafe at eight. I, 
Yeah, I've I've got to really be here. Yeah, and that's and why I'm, that's why it means so much to me. Yeah, exactly. So well, that's hard. why the fire stays. Yeah, you know? right. No one else was fanning it. You're yeah. fanning it myself. Totally, <laughs> totally. <laughs> so when you came out of drama school, boom. Were you like? By the way. I'm a massive Call the Midwife fan. It's sort of like an on-running joke between like, me and my friends, but I've watched every single episode. Stop it. It's my dream to become like Dr. Turner's... Basically, I want to be Dr. Tina Turner. That's what I'm calling her. Um, and I am dead. She's, she's like the lesbian doctor that comes in and helps. It's a whole thing. It's a whole joke between me and Tom Allen. But you, did you graduate from drama school and just get a job straight away? I, I got a job at drama school. Um, so I... I I got my agent in the third year and I got cast in Sister at the Musical. Amazing. Straight away, um, the UK and Ireland tour. It was 15 months. Oh, that is um, a gift so to I get went, that I much work. I went straight into a job. Um, and to be with actors and actors that are working, because that's different. Because <sighs> it, was so, it was so different. I didn't realise how fortunate I was until like, maybe about a quarter of the way through the tour and I was like still in touch with people in my class mm. and they were really, you know, some were really finding it hard and some, some were like, yeah, I'm done. And some were like really flying. Yeah, it's... So the, the varied... And it really depends, doesn't it, who you surround yourself with in totally. those scenarios. When you're not working, mm-hmm. the people that you're around, like, you will pick that up. Oh, my God. Like, it's, you've it, yeah. got to be so careful, like, careful about sense where sense of self you... has got to be really strong. Yeah, put your boundaries so you mm. don't end up just bitching in a cafe all day. Well, completely. Yeah. It's like, I, yeah, I got Sister Act. I was on tour for 15 months. I was working with older actors, mm. a few graduates, and really talented people. Like, like, it was a great, great, great tour. And Cynthia Erivo was... Dolores Van Cartier. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Double Oscar nominee Cynthia yes, Erivo, my girl. I <laughs> have a very special place in my heart for yeah. Jessie. I've never met her. Oh, but I think she's, she's just absolutely wa- fabulous. I watch yeah, everything she does. I think she's brilliant. She's 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 really the real deal. She's yeah. she, from from day one, she's always been that girl. Yeah. She's always been Every time she's talented. interviewed, she just seems yeah, just she's, into the work and nice. She's the definition of stepping into your light. Yeah. So like she she yeah, she she has a gift, and she for doing that tour, seeing people like Cynthia and lots of the other older actors mm. who eight shows a week was turning mm-hmm. up, and like yes. I had a few, I had a few shows. I'd like, oh, go out, I'd come on, and I'd be a bit hungover doing a show, and like I had a friend who's no longer with us anymore called Nolan Frederick, a West End absolute legend, been mm. in a billion shows, and he really took me under his wing, and he was a game a gay man. Mm-hmm. He lived through the AIDS mm-hmm. epidemic in both in New York and here. He, wow, he, was, okay. he was working both sides of the pond. And Nolan just had this ease with himself. And I was like, here's this queer black old man, old old man, older man, yeah. who who is living the life that everyone said you couldn't have, you couldn't that you couldn't survive to the age of all, yeah. all these things. And working community, working, got it. Like- he, he, he had it down. The house down boots. <laughs> you know, he just had it. And he really took me under his wing. And shows I'd be like, oh, but he'd be like, hun, you want to work hard and play hard? You've got to be able to bring it on stage every night. Yeah. You know, there are some shows where I was a little bit hungover and I'd come off stage and Nolan would be standing with a bucket because he knew I was going to chunder. Like, and he, he was that, he, he'd been there, he'd done it. Mm. And I learned, I learned so much from him. I really did. And, I'm so grateful for that experience. Yeah. And it was and it was being handed down to me by family, by my queer yeah. family, by someone, by one of ours. And that made me go, okay, I've, I've, I've done this tour and then I did, I got a play at the National. Mm-hmm. It started as a workshop and then it, it, um, it turned into a play and it was called Home. 
and, and that's it was with Michaela Cole. With Michaela, with Michaela Cole, um, Ashley Maguire, Antonia Thomas, Shaka, Great Grace Savage, Danny Sapone. You some great women. Like, oh, you. my lot in life is to be surrounded by extremely talented women, and I'm I'm so cool with Can that. Can I come and hang with you? Oh, please. Well, you're one of the gang now, babes. Um, but that play changed absolutely everything, and that's where I got called the midwife. Right. I did that play. I got called the midwife. And then the play was brought back the year after mm-hmm. again because it really sent shockwaves through the, commun- yeah. the theatre community and the National were really supportive of it because it was a verbatim piece. Mm-hmm. And we did it the year after that. And then I got cast in a, my first TV show after that. My first like TV lead, yeah. which Adam Kay wrote. Yeah. A little BBC3 sitcom called Crims. Mm-hmm. And... I did that with Ellis James. He's a friend of mine. Because <laughs> the world's so small. It's tiny, isn't it? Yeah. It's t- But it was like myself, Ellis James, Theo Barkham Biggs, Carriad Lloyd, yep. Ricky Champ, Lashana Lynch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it was amazing. And yeah, it sort of kept coming from there. And was there ever a point when you thought, am I going to be out-out? Y- yeah. Um, for me, once I came out to my family, I was never in. Sure. So, and like, also, if you can tell your family and you know that there uh, is, yeah. If my if my mum and my dad and my siblings were cool with me, no one else matters. Yeah, right. literally, no one Absolutely. else matters. So, I, I walked that first day. I walked into drama school. I was I was Khadif and I was yeah. gay and I was, you know, it was not the most defining thing you'll see about me. Mm-hmm. It's just a yes. part of my DNA. Yeah, and it's here to stay. You know, yeah. it was never. Um, and I've, I've never shied away from a. Because um, it's that thing about being gay as well. It's like you come out five, six times a day mm-hmm. to people, mm-hmm. you know, in various ways. Yeah. You know, you tap your oyster card, and it's like, yeah, gay. <laughs> bing, you know. bing, bing, bing. <laughs> um, but gay, yeah, gay. It, it was, it was, it was never a thing of like, I'm going to hide this about myself. Because I was like, who, who does that benefit? Totally. Yeah. And I can't step into anyone else's story but my own. No, 100%. And and you're such an inspiration in that you're playing, like you're playing all different kinds of characters. I'm sure there'll be so many young actors that are aware of you or listen to you and would think, oh, that's so hopeful mm. that that can happen. Because there was certainly a time when I thought, God, if I come out, like then that's, yeah, that's you're it. Pigeoned. I mean, yeah. but now I mean the stand up she doesn't stop talking about it but <laughs> you re- represent to me something that is so hopeful oh. that, the, that, that, that we're getting to a stage where the world can see past yeah something that, that can see that gay people can play all characters well the world can finally see that people act in acting yeah, right? isn't that crazy yeah. isn't that mad but it's it's true like I've been really fortunate in that respect but um, yeah I actually half the time I get I struggle. People don't think I'm gay, mm. and I don't get the gay roles. And I find I, I find it so frustrating sometimes because it's like there is no one color of being mm-hmm. gay or being yeah. queer. I mean, it's a really nuanced experience for every single person yeah. that identifies as such. And yeah, it, it it frustrates me at times that how I present the world or whoever's casting or whoever's directing the thing goes oh no but that that's that's quote unquote normal that's a straight yeah. person over there you know it's it's slowly changing in the last couple of years i've played a few more queer roles but the majority of the roles that i play are are presenting as heterosexual mm. um which i love also because it's acting and i'm yeah, playing a character totally. and but and I, but i realized on on this journey that maybe it's me that's going to have to write my own queer role and that's what i'm doing currently so it's like 
I ain't going to wait for no knight in shining armor with a magic pen that's going to write yes. me the thing that yes, I want. Yes, no, yes. I can do that myself. I've done so it. many things myself up to this point with the support of people, of course, but nah, it's cool. I'll do it myself. <laughs> well, I can't wait to watch it. Now, I have loved this conversation. Thank you for popping your podcast, Cherry, with me. I oh, do appreciate it. It's nice um, and easy. It, thank you. <laughs> I asked everyone the same question who come on the show, and I'm thinking about that version of you. When... Maybe when you were sort of still working it out, moving to London, you know, you'd come out to your family, but maybe it wasn't... You, you, you hadn't got to the place that you were going to eventually get to. Mm-hmm. And you were working in that restaurant and mm-hmm. you were trying to get into drama school. If you could reach out to him, or indeed, if there's someone listening who is having a really similar experience, doesn't have to be drama school, but is working out what their thing is at the moment. If you could give them a bit of advice, what would you say? Uh, what would my advice be? Firstly, that to know, to absolutely know wholeheartedly, there's nothing wrong with you. Mm. And every single thing that you're feeling is right. Everything you're feeling is right. And, you know, like I said earlier, it, it you, you end up coming out all the time to mm. people. Once you've done that and you're still sitting with yourself and you're you're wondering where the direction is going to go, be just be a, that little bit bolder or braver and try and put yourself out there. Try and find a friend or try find a little a little community of your own because for me those there were people in my life that molded me into the person I am and they're all queer people. Mm. Like I was really fortunate enough to be surrounded by those queer people. I think with social media and content and the new, every, we've got so many resources mm. to find who you are try and try and try and find your tribe i'd say because honestly it takes an army to raise a kid and it takes two armies to raise a queer kid yeah but if you can just find one person to just talk to just try and do that because the minute you open your mouth and you say those words you take ownership of that so much that was perfect way to end the show thank you so much (laughs) thank you so much it's been amazing Oh, I loved that so much and I really hope that you did too. As ever, you can get in touch with me. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com or you can catch me on Instagram. That's about it, really. I don't really use the other ones. But if you want to get in touch, please do. The email is best. I hope that you have a great week, whatever you're doing and wherever you are. I hope it's a good one for you and I'll be back next week with another conversation. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.